Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 14 for Friday 20th of August 2010. I gave the best 39.5348% of my life to Lotus Notes, and look where it got me. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by Moo.com, the home of the finest custom business cards, mini cards, postcards, and much more. For more information and for details of exclusive promotional offers, browse to thisweekinlotus.com. Moo. Well, hello, Stuart McIntyre here. Um, first of all, I just want to uh, say that I'm really sorry for the delay in publishing the podcast this week. Uh, we've had a few technical issues to to get past, so I uh, hope you're enjoying it now you downloaded it. Um, and just wanted to say as well, on this episode, we had a rather noisy microphone um, with one of the participants, um, which means it's a little bit noisy, particularly at the beginning. It does get a lot better as the podcast moves on. So just to pre-warn you of that, I uh, hope it doesn't spoil your enjoyment of listening to the podcast too much. So enjoy. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Lotus. I'm Stuart McIntyre and we're here to discuss the latest happenings in the world of Lotus software, social, collaboration, technology and community. As is the case every week, well every week I'm here anyway, uh, I'm joined by my co-host Darren Duke. Hi there Darren. Uh, hello Stuart, well uh, congratulations on two weeks in a row. <laughs> Actually three weeks because we slipped in a, a super secret one. We mid-week. did indeed. Yeah we released that earlier on uh, this week with, um, with Joyce and Amanda of the, um, of the Lotus Technical Information Team. Yeah, um, so last week was, this week's been pretty quiet compared to last week. Um, you know, we, I, I got a bit of feedback on, quote-unquote, how tough we were or were not on Ed Brill. <laughs> <laughs> and what way did the feedback go? Um, it's a, a lot of people wanted us to cover stuff from the deep, dark ages, you know, Ghana, that kind of stuff. And, and you know, I'm like, uh, it is what it is. Absolutely. I think you asked some pretty tough questions, particularly around directory independence which um, we're going to come back to a bit later on today. So, um, so I think we gave him a fairly hard time. Maybe, maybe we'll call Ed back on in a few weeks' time and ask some questions that come up as a result. And we'll see how, hard, how tough we were on him, because if he accepts, we obviously weren't <laughs> tough enough. <laughs> That's a good way to think about it. Okay, well, as usual, we're joined by a, a cast of, uh, of experts from around the community, um, some really good folks joining us on the call today. So let, let's get started with introducing um, them. First of all, we have Marie Scott. Uh, Marie's at uh, the Virgin, Virginia Commonwealth University in Redmond. Hi there, Marie. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Great to have you on the call today. We wanted to get you on because we, we ended up discussing TDI in a bit of detail last week, uh, particularly around the director independent stuff. So very interested in your views on that a bit later on. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Okay, thank you. We're also joined by Gab Davis from uh, Turtle Partnership. Hi there, Gab. Afternoon. Hi. Afternoon. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's great to have you on. We've obviously had Mike from Turtle on, but it's good to, to have you here too. <laughs> thank you. Rather up. When you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't think of it that way, please. We'll have to have Tim on next week. 
Okay, and we're also joined by um, another member of the uh, the folks at Organised Collaboration University. We have Rob Novak of Snaps. Hi there, Rob. Good morning, everybody in the world. Good morning, and whereabouts are you, and what time is it with you? Overland Park, Kansas, and 6.07 a.m. Oh, goodness me. Commitment, that is. Great to have you on, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and finally, we're joined by Neil Burston, uh, a former colleague of mine um, and somebody I've worked with a lot and also lives in the same village in the Cotswolds in the UK. So hi there, Neil. Although you'd never know it because we very, very rarely see each other, it seems, nowadays. <laughs> Indeed. You must, must make more of an effort. It's great to have you on. Well, th uh, well thanks very much for inviting me. I'm uh, very honoured to be um, asked to join such uh, exalted company. Okay, and as people will see from the bio that will be on the show notes, you've kind of been around the, the Lotus community for a number of years, but have now kind of moved outside it. So, so where are you working these days? Yes, shock horror. Um, I'm working for an organisation called Helveta, um, and we provide su primarily supply chain solutions to um, some very interesting uh, customers. Um, we're doing a lot of uh, wood forestry management um, solutions for various governments around the world including some very far-flung places where um, the internet barely trickles through which pauses, causes us all sorts of problems and uh, challenges that we uh, look to overcome for them. Okay we're well, very interested in your point of view now you're kind of a little bit outside and, and looking in from, from the outer so thanks for joining <laughs> yes. us Neil. Okay no problem. Okay, and so we're going to, as usual, run through a list of topics from around the community this week. As, as Darren's already mentioned, it's, it's been quite a quiet week. So, so let's start off with a wrap-up of, of last week's big news, which was particularly the 852 release of Notes and Domino and the Lotus Live Notes uh, announcement. So um, perhaps, Darren, do you want to start? Um, uh, have you seen anything particularly around the, the web or around the community this week that's kind of followed on from those announcements? Any, any feeling of whether... Uh, they've they've hit the sweet spot in terms of what people are looking for. I I think yes, because of the local replication management and and, and a lot of the X pages fixes that I know from the development side of our house, we're looking forward to to some of the stuff that's that's now in there from X pages. And we did a a, a local lug, I think it was last probably Wednesday or Tuesday over in Greenville, South Carolina. And we were going over the new features in, in 8.5.2 and we, we had like 35 registrations from what is a reasonably small city in the United States, Greenville, South Carolina. So apparently the customer base is very interested in what is coming in 8.5.2. And I think maybe a lot of that has to do with the new features that's being added point release on point release. You know, it used to be a fixed pack was just bug fixes. Now a fixed pack is net new releases. So I think there's a lot of people asking about that. And, and the Android stuff, we get asked about that at least daily now. When, when is the Android stuff coming into the product? Uh, is, is Traveler really all it's cracked up to be, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I actually think it, there's, there's a lot of good good press and, and good customer feedback around this release. And, and Gab, you do an awful lot of work with customers with Notes and Domino. Uh, what's your feeling in terms of are people going to upgrade to 8.5.2? Um, obviously, it's not out for another few days, but do, do you plan some upgrades next week and, and soon after that? Uh, yeah, I actually have um, two large... Um, customer upgrades are in place at the moment where we've deliberately started with the servers and we've been crossing our fingers hoping 852 would ship um, before we got to the client rollouts. We've actually been building um, client installers using uh, the latest betas as tests, but we're going to be deploying um, 852 directly to those clients um, in September and October. Um, hopefully, so because there's a lot, 852 is a very client-driven release, 
and some tiny little things um, that users kind of expect and haven't had, like being able to forward messages directly from the trash without having to restore them to the inbox. That's the kind of little thing that you might think, well, it's not worth upgrading. But if you're upgrading from, which I am, both these customers are mixed version 6 and 7 releases, that's a significant thing you're giving them. You're giving them a much nicer user experience. And then we've got all the really cool client-side caching model, um, which I, is one of those ideas, and I felt this way about full access administration, I think it's a fantastic idea, the idea of having, um, taking a local replica of mail and treating it more like a synchronized um, mail account so users don't have to deal with replication settings and it's all controlled by administrative our policy. I'm just concerned how customers are going to deploy it because your TCO now has to include the ability of your workstations to basically have the capacity to host a local replica of the mail and the performance of the disk or the workstation. All that stuff as administrators we're not used to looking at. So I think it's one of those things like Deos and ID Vault that's incredibly exciting in the 8.5 code stream. It's very new. Um, and I think it's going to need careful planning, but for companies that deploy it, I think it's going to be a game changer in terms of how they run their infrastructure. Um, and Marie, how are you feeling about it? I mean, you're obviously at a customer site. Is, is it something you'll look to move towards? Uh, most definitely. We have some faculty who have been keen on the feature, especially um, with regards to being able to change font sets. Um, to change their default font. Um, because we're a large university, we have some individuals with um, sight impairment issues, and they really haven't been able to do much other than what's been available with the default Windows settings, and 8.5.2 will allow them to do that. We're also a very um, large, well, I don't, large is relative, but for us, we have a lot of users who are very interested in Traveler. Um, we have more than 200 users who are using the GA version of Traveler, and we have um, at least 20 users who are using the Android beta version, and they love it. They absolutely love it. Um, we, they've actually, many of them have switched from Blackberries to either their iPhone or the Droid um, very happily. Even though I was concerned that perhaps they would miss some of the calendaring features, but um, apparently not. They've, they've traded it off for what they can get from either device. I mean, I'd, sorry. I'd, I'd agree on the travel thing. I think it's, it's very exciting for customers, but I've had a lot of customers who are trying to make the BlackBerry versus Traveler decision. Um, and, and, and I think it's difficult. I think BlackBerry still offers a more comprehensive and reliable solution if it's critical that you have your calendar and have your mail. Um, then BlackBerry, I think the, the, the Traveler is, is better for, for casual use because one thing I've noticed I don't have in Traveler, and the biggest thing for me is the ability to read and search mail when I'm offline. Um, and. I can't do that very well with Traveller, and I also only have a cut-down amount of mail on my device. Whereas with the BlackBerry, I can search my entire mail, and I can ask the Bez to actually search my mail file on the server and return results. 
So we're kind of saying to people, you have now have two strands. You have people to whom male is critical, um, and we say for them BlackBerry, and casual, you know, people that need to access their mail and calendar when they're roaming. And for that, Traveller is a fantastic solution. And, and we're looking at it from the point of cost as well, um, because we, we don't have direct funding for the BlackBerry server itself. It's, it's not a, because we're a university, you know, cost is, is everything. So for the Cal licenses for the individual users, we're having to charge back to um, the individual um, uh, users. Whereas with Traveler, you know, it's part of our Lotus license. And so um, it is you know, it's not a charge they have to incur, and and faculty love that. And I will say, it's free, for free, free. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, universities love anything that they think is free. So um, I just throw that in there. And of course, it runs on Linux now as well, which can be free, free, free too. Exactly. So that's a great solution. How about you, Rob? More from a development point of view, I guess. Have you been doing much with eight five two? Well, as a consultancy, uh, we have to maintain um, every version, every beta, etc. And um, so we generally are interested in the incremental improvements and things like X pages and the sidebar development environment, and and you know those are great features for us to dig into. But then, I, I personally don't typically get very uh, excited about the uh, end user improvements, but uh, I made an inexplicable noise the first time I put the 852 beta on my Mac and saw multi-threaded replication and was telling my wife, Liz, how great it was uh, and, and how she had to have that on her Mac and then realized, well, she only had one mail database, so it wasn't going to be as exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so how, but, many, how many databases do you replicate, Rob? Um, somewhere in 15, 20, something like that. Yeah, same here too, and it just makes a massive difference seeing that multi-threaded replication going on. Definitely, and we we do a bit of hosting as well, and so I'm pretty excited about the Linux version. Um, I have a, a client who has just hit me with, um, we have travel, or we have we have uh, you know a couple of iPhones, and can you do anything for us with that? And I said, well. Yes, I'd love to, but you're on Linux, and we're going to have to upgrade you. And as soon as we do, then then we can. Yeah, great stuff. And and Neil, I've just got a question for you, really. Uh, you know, you've used Notes Client for a good number of years. There's been a lot of chat um, on the community this week in terms of being able to use the Notes Client for free, in terms of downloading the Designer Client and using it in, in a disconnected manner. Is is that something you can never envisage people doing, using it disconnected or accessing IMAP Mail or anything like that? Uh, you know, is it really a, a a viable alternative to some of the other mail clients that are out there? Well, I would have thought, um, I'd rather got the impression that the a lot of the work they'd done in this release was to help them sell the, um, now forgive me, it's the, the one that was recently announced, the, the hosted mail service. Yeah, Lotus Live Notes. That's the one, thank you. Um, that, I mean, that whole idea of taking things and running them offline is still one of the crown jewels of Domino and, and Notes, surely, especially um, as I have in the last few months been working at very poor bandwidth. Um, I can see that it, that's just something that is still 
perhaps underrated by a lot of people um, when we're so used to sort of decent broadband in, in, mo- in most of the countries we operate in. Absolutely. And, and you know, I work with a, with a rather large charity who have offices in something like um, 200 countries around the world. And again, the, you know, the replication schedules and stuff within the Domino and Notes client just, just make it possible for them to collaborate over those distances. I'm sure that must be true in some of the countries you go to, Neil, where they just wouldn't be able to do it without the Notes client. Well, I must admit, when I was um, the previous company I was working with, we were doing a certain amount of work in, um, in uh, Central Africa rather bizarrely so i ended up in some very strange places with, with but we were able to run um the business on um sometimes we didn't even get kilobytes worth of uh, data trickling through so it, it, again it's a it's a very old feature in lotus but it's uh, lotus notes but it is one of the crown jewels people shouldn't um forget that okay neil's answer to the previous question around why notes is, is such a valuable solution kind of brings us on to the next question is is that um Mary Beth Raven asked the question on her blog on the notesdesignblog.com as to what is Lotus Notes, which I I must say I looked at and thought, why is she asking the question? What's behind that question? So um, I think a number of people here answered that uh, in terms of comments on the blog. Darren, do you want to take that? Why do you think um, Mary Beth asked the question and and do you think it's even possible to define what Lotus Notes is in a one-liner? Ooh, wow. Um, So... The word collaboration is, is probably been the word in the last two years since Google have tried to get in the enterprise. And, and I think historically people have automatically used the word collaboration to, to talk about notes because collaboration is the catch-all for other things we really can't describe. Um, and, and I think the reason they're asking this now is because with, with Lotus Live Notes, they now have the ability to go after greenfield accounts, which has historically been left to the business partners to, to, to go after. And now I think the IBM Salesforce has been told, look, now we have this, this cloud infrastructure, let's, let's go toe-to-toe with the likes of Google and BPOS, but we have to be able to talk about notes as, as a platform. Um, I think the conversation is a bit deeper than that. You know, we, 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 li- we like to bandy about every 20 words, notes is more than email. And I think the matter of fact is with Lotus Live Notes, IBM has to start talking about notes being email. Yes, it may be more, but right now, to in, in, in at least their eyes from a hosted perspective, it is not more than mail. And, and maybe they're trying to get around the conversation of, well, we don't like maybe the notes client because it's so bloated. What else can you tell us it does? And I think that's maybe where the conversation stems from. Yeah, it, it kind of amused me a bit. Um, I think the, the questions and, and some of the comments as well, because IBM for a long while shied away from using the Lotus name at all because they thought it had kind of, you know, there were customers that would say, I'm Microsoft and not Lotus, and therefore I won't discuss the word Lotus. So they tried the incredibly clever technique of just not using the word Lotus. <laughs> um, in order to, but... I, I think playing down what the product is doesn't help anyone. I don't think a lot of companies now think that email will solve all their problems. I think we've moved beyond that stage. And there is definitely um, a recognized gap of companies that have just deployed or just look at email in the cloud that they realize this is only now one part of their IT story, that they need other things. 
Um, and I, I think it doesn't help anyone playing down the fact that the notes and domino combination together with same time, together with quicker, the fact that it's multi-platform, the fact that, you know, we support multiple versions, playing that down because it's so unique and it does so much for companies. And I don't think people realize it. Um, and it's always been a concern to me that I don't know if IBM understands how to tell that story properly because they themselves, I don't think, run the story properly. Uh, along with that, though, from a user's point of view, our users, they tend to think of email, calendaring, um, same time, quicker. They, they all lump that in as email. They, I mean, when they, when they call us with a problem, it's, it's always they, you know, refer to Lotus Notes or they refer to my e email. It's, it's not, they don't distinguish between the, the product sets or the function. It, it, it's, their, it's their business dashboard for, for getting their job done during the course of the day. So I think that's where we have some disconnect is it versus, you know, we have what the users perceive as what they need to get their business done or their job done versus, you know, folks like us who see it as, as different products and understand the nuances and understand things like collaboration. But when, when you talk to the average user and say, <clears throat> what does email mean to you and what does Lotus, Lotus Notes mean to you? I mean, they're just, they're going to say, well, it's, it's email. And you'll say, well, but you're working in your calendar. I know, but that's my email. So I, I just throw that out there. I mean, it's, no, I, there's some, some subtle differences in, in, in perception. I think you're right, Marie. And, 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 and I think that's partly the point I'm trying to make, which is from the user, it's just one environment. Um, um, one of my favorite stories is uh, my sister works for a company that has Lotus Notes. And she works from home a lot. Um, and she complained to me about the little man that they've introduced in Lotus Notes that can see everything she's doing. And it took me ages to work out what she was talking about <laughs> as she was talking about the same time awareness. That if she's working from home and she's away from the computer, <laughs> the little I'm man... Pretty, I'm I, I'm pretty sure several times as an administrator I've been called the little man that can see everything I do. So I thought you were talking about me there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> So she was really talking about you, Darren. That's were true. <laughs> you know, she, she, you know, she perceives it as one product. I think the problem IBM has is they're not selling to users; they're selling to people in IT who understand that if you use the word email, that's a very specific thing. Yeah. And and I, you know, with all my heart, I want them to be able to tell that story to decision makers and people that have the budget and people that pay for the renewal. And to be able to say, and, and I know this leads to something we're talking later, that this is not just an email system. And you may just be using it as email, but if you are, you're missing out. And I think in a lot of ways, in some ways, users understand that better sometimes than, than people that have deployed notes and Domino purely as email and are only interested in it as that product. And do you think um, if you, you know, are asked to define Lotus Notes, that application development needs to be within that definition? 
because it was it's very interesting reading through the comments on on Mary Beth's blog that it was kind of an either or. Some people mentioned application dev and it was their major focus, probably because they're developers themselves, or it was the focus around email and collaboration and, and other things. And so, you know, can you kind of merge those two and make customers really understand there's a product that can do both? I think I don't know what the application for me. Um, the fact that it's an application platform, I think, is really powerful. I'm not sure whether promoting it as a development tool helps the story, but talking about it as an application platform for all these collaborative applications, I think, is not something that that, that should be ignored. I think it's a really powerful, um, unique identifier for the product. How about in terms of a directory? Is is it being a directory important for organisations anymore, particularly in terms of it being perhaps the major LDAP directory they use for other things? Darren, do you want to take that one? Are people still using it for LDAP in your experience? They are using it for LDAP if they need a more standards compliant than active directory LDAP. I, I would say yes. And if they have same time and if they have quicker then Domino is probably the LDAP directory. And also, if they're fronting it via a spam protection that does recipient verification, then yes, L LDAP is turned on. Is it the directory du jour inside of organizations? I would have to say maybe in 2 or 3% of my customers, is it the directory du jour? More often than not, it is now either active directory in 90% of the organizations. And, and in a couple of organizations, specifically the education clients and the healthcare clients you work with, they they they're novel shops, so is it is it the directory for authentication authorization out of anything that's not email or an add-on product to Domino or Lotus? I would have to say no, it is not. It's interesting because I'm I'm completely the opposite to it. Most of my clients, it is Domino, um, either as Domino as that because their Active Directory or Novell infrastructure is so segmented that they have different divisions and each division has its own Active Directory environment. They don't tend to have... I think maybe it's a difference between US and European companies because US companies more likely do have one Active Directory environment. Um, most of the companies I work with have multiple Active Directory environments and it's far easier to use Domino as kind of a single place to consolidate directories. Um, or even have multiple LDAP entries pointed to all the Active Directory environments so they can use Domino as a single directory source. Because it's not what it's intended for, but it's incredibly easy to do that. And that, that's my experience too as well, um, Gab, into the European co companies. A lot of them have very well... Um, very well used domino directories that typically have an awful lot of valid data in them so they may have active directory but it may well be segmented into multiple environments or else it's pretty useless in terms of getting real data out of it in terms of you know employee information um you know phone numbers and so on it's been kind of set up once and then left to be to be dormant but having said that the question still comes up again and again Companies don't want to use Domino, they, they want to use Active Directory as their way of logging in, particularly if they're Windows shops. And, and that kind of brings us into the discussion we had last week around directory independence. Um, and something I wanted to ask was, was both Gab and uh, Marie, I think, have presented on this topic. So, so what, what does TDI offer us in terms of what we can do around um, you know, merging the two or else synchronizing between Active Directory and Domino? I'll, I'll jump in, Gab. Um we recently presented at, at 
I am lug um, a session about um, how to set up Domino to use the Active Directory or LDAP password rather than the HTTP password. Um, and we showed one method for using for setting that up using directory assistance and then we added on some additional slides where you could use Tivoli directory integrator to you know take it to the next step and use um, TDI to bring in other values from your active directory or from Domino either way um, but what we were trying to show is that if you have sites where you don't want to rely on um, the Domino HTTP password and you want to use your password set like an Active Directory or um, LDAP, you can use that without having to do password synchronization with some very minor changes and that password you can use for all of the HTTP authentication across the board within Domino. So um, that's what we were kind of, you know, in our session in, at IMLUG. What TDI, if you do need to take it to the next step and you do want to do password synchronization, um, you know, there are some shops who are very much committed to single sign-on um, across the board. TDI does come in with password plugins that will, for example, intercept Windows password changes. Um, the TDI server will run and you have connectors that connect to Active Directory and will intercept those changes and then synchronize with your Windows environment. It also has a password plugin that will um, uh, detect the changes to the HTTP password in the Domino directory. And, and this isn't unique to TDI, but um, TDI does a good job if you want to, you know, for example, your corporate ERP system is um, PeopleSoft and you need to get PeopleSoft information into your Domino directory um, to update it with phone numbers and department changes and things like that. That's, um, that's what TDI does a really good job of um, as well. Gab, just jump in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think TDI is really cool, but one of the things we wanted to get people to understand was that leaving TDI aside, if you want to get rid of the HTTP passwords in the person documents and instead have people use their Windows passwords or their Novell e-directory passwords or their someone passwords, you can do that by creating a single directory assistance document. That's it. And, and populating um, an attribute in the, in, the, in the source LDAP that maps to an attribute in Domino, it's a really very simple thing to configure. Now what TDI brings you on top of that is <clears throat> you don't want to have to manually keep those in sync. So every time you change someone's name in Domino, you have to go and find their entry in your other directory and change that attribute so it still matches. TDI can take care of all of that for you. 
So it, it really adds value in terms of automation. But it's a very, very cool thing that you can even have a password in the notes person document and Domino will accept either the notes person password or the active directory password or both. So when I go to log in, it will check whether my password matches my HTTP password. If it doesn't, it will check whether it matches on the other directory. And if it matches there, it will still let me in under that name. And that's phenomenally cool that not many people are doing. Uh, and Marie's site uses enormously. Um, and, and like Marie said, we did this session on it, I am lug, and I'm, I'm doing a session without the TDI bit. Um, um, and some stuff about Spinago at the MLUG coming up in September. But yeah, I, I, it's very, very cool. And in, in terms of the directory independence that was planned for Domino, um, I think it was going to be in 8.5.2 and then they, they took it out. What, what are we missing with either of these two alternatives? It seems to me that, that we're sorted for web applications and iNotes, but we've still got a big problem around synchronizing passes with the Notes client. Is that, is that tr still true? That's yeah. exactly what the problem is. So today, I've got all of his code inside of Domino, but when I change my notes password, I can synchronize my HTTP password, but I don't have the other way. So we, we've got a, we've got a one-way valve, but all of this information, if it's provided it's HTTP, it can all be changed. But if it's in the ID file right now without a significant third-party dollar investment, I cannot synchronize my notes ID password with, with anything else, and it doesn't make sense. And, and added to that, even in Domino today, I can't control the complexity of my web password, which is nothing short of phenomenal that I, I can't do that today. Um, so, so there's a disconnect between the guys running off thinking everything's gonna go web, and now we suddenly have ID Vault and Lotus Live Notes, where I need an, a Notes ID to access this kind of stuff. So th there's obviously a disconnect well, uh, now. Go ahead, Marie. I, I I, I understand what you're saying, Darren, and I agree to you to a point, but I would say that where we had some situations where either our, our Active Directory, we, we actually use LDAP, where our LDAP system went down so we could not use a single sign-on via LDAP, our users were still able to access notes because they had the notes ID. So, you know, it. I, I'm, I'm not sure that everything is ready for a single sign-on. I think that perhaps there, there should be something where there's a single ID and that there is some synchronicity between how you, you link those types of things. But there is, there is some value, I think, still to the notes ID that it does give you, um, you know, a backup means for accessing your mail securely um, that, you know, it's just something to think about. So let me hit the ball back over the fence because yeah. if my Active Directory is down, I can still log on to my Windows machine. Yeah, but I disagree in principle with the idea of getting rid of the ID. I don't think the ID is valueless. You know, a lot of the security in the notes client derives from, from the encryption and the authentication model of that ID. And you can't duplicate it on the web. You can't do the same stuff. And as soon as you start, I mean, you have the model. You can do a note shared logon, Darren, and have no password at all. Um, and then it'll just use your Windows credentials 
to pass on through. So it's not true that there isn't an option. You could do no shared logon. Personally, I hate it, but you know, <laughs> you could. But I, I tend to feel very strongly about you know the idea of having a single identity that opens up a world to everything because people log into their Windows machines. And once you're logged in, that's then wide open to everything. Plenty of other applications ask you to enter additional credentials if you're dealing with secure information. And a lot of information held in notes is a higher level of security than your general email. So my concern is you sit down at someone's machine where they've left themselves logged in or they're using from home and you have access to everything if, that's, if there is notes ID, no notes ID. Um, I just don't think that model is, is ready. The other thing is the application model, and one thing I think they, they, they hit a bit of a brick wall with, with the directory independence, which is the identity, your identity in notes is used in applications all over the place um, to secure reader fields, to encrypt fields, to secure documents, and all of that would have to be mapped to whatever this other directory was, which wouldn't be managed by the same team wouldn't be within the control of the same team. And if that information changes, if the schema of the LDAP source changes, everything breaks. Um, so I think it's, I think they will get there, but I'm not that concerned that they're not there yet because I think it's a huge leap in terms of a change in the security model. Not that I feel strongly about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, along the everything works line uh, or everything breaks line there, Gab, um, years and years ago, I had a client who they lost their what at the time was called a primary domain controller, right? And now uh, now it's AD. Um, and they lost network access. So they lost file shares. They lost just about everything that they normally did except one thing, and that was notes. And notes continued to work and they were continued to operate as an organization. They couldn't get their files off the file system, but they could use notes. And the value for that as well is for remote workers, people that might not be able to get at your central directory. And of course, it's, it's still an issue on Linux and Mac as well, is, is how you deal with that, that synchronization too, in terms of a lot of these solutions work very well for Windows, but it still leaves a, a significant um, group of, of users that are kind of outside that too. So if we circle back round to, to TDI again then, so um, it's, it's definitely a good option for people who want to do synchronization. I've used it a huge amount for, you know, particularly with Lotus Connections, getting data into Lotus Connections, but also for getting data out of existing, you know, Oracle databases, HR systems, exports from, from different applications into the Domino directory. So then that information surfaces in, you know, through LDAP or, or through other applications. So first of all, how, how do you get hold of it? Um, Marie, do you want to take that? How, how do people get hold of um, TDI if they, if they think there's a use for it in their, in their uh, organization? Sure. Um, if you have a Domino license, uh, TDI is available to you as part of the extra uh, downloads on um, the Passport Advantage site. Um, it's, sometimes it's a little tricky to find, but um, that's where you need to go to look for it. The current version, which just released, is TDI 7.1, um, and there's a fix pack for it. Um, TDI runs on lots of platforms, including Windows, Linux, um, Solaris, ZOS. So 
it's, a, it's available um, wherever you want to run it. One thing that I really like about the new version um, 7.1 is that they've added something called a data stepper to the debugger that allows you to see each object as it's being acted upon when you're, you're testing your um, assembly line, which is the major component of um, your processes in TDI. So you can actually see each object. I mean, it's really cool. I know that sounds kind of nerdy, but um, it, it's definitely something to take a look at. Um, they've also in, changed the install process, so it's using um, install anywhere now. So um, they weren't using that with TDI 7.0. It is Eclipse-based. Um, there's lots and lots of information out there on tdi-users.org. Um, that's the best place to go to get started for it. Um, we have a colleague um, who works out of the Oslo IBM office um, where they work um, to develop TDI. Eddie Hartman, who has just written tons and tons of material on TDI, there, if you go out to YouTube and search on TDI, there's some very specific uh, YouTube um, items that Eddie has put together that actually shows you step by step how to set up your own assembly line to sync Domino with AD. I mean, there's lots of stuff available. Oh, there's two questions, really. Um, one was how people can get started, because I remember when I was looking at this stuff a couple of years ago, there wasn't a bit of a dearth of material, but um, just as Marie suggested, looking at YouTube, there's some really good videos on there that give you the flavour for it. Um, but I was wondering if people were using it for other things than just directory integration, because it's, it's kind of billed as directory integrator, but it some um, quite a powerful data integrator tool. I just wondered if people had seen anybody using that, making use of the license for, um, you know, integrating data from various places to the other. I mean, kind of in a, I suppose like in a notes pump styly that people might have done previously, or if they were aware that they could do that. Has anybody been using it for that purpose? Stuart, you've been using it to transfer images into connections, right? Yeah, absolutely that. So um, Connections does, uses TDI out of the box to get um, its profile system uh, populated. So it can pull out you know, phone numbers, email addresses, names and so on from a directory, whether it's Domino or another LDAP source. But it kind of stops at that point. The, script, the scripts they provide are, are relatively limited. Um, and so the only way of populating photos out of the box is for users to go and add them through the UI. And um, a number of organizations I've um, been working with already have photos that HR have captured when people join the company, already have them in existing apps. And so they wanted to bring them into um, Domino, first of all, to be used for the same time. Uh, and I know Gav and I disagree on whether you should have photos in the Domino directory, but that's what we've done. Um, and then taking those photos from the Domino directory then into connections, uh, using just a couple of relatively simple assembly lines and scripts to do that. Um, in addition, you can then use the license that, that you get for TDI to then um, push data back as well from connections, which its heart is just a relational database, um, back into whatever applications that you um, 
you want to to put that data into so you know typically if you do install connections and use it then it's great to give um, you know it's a great way of giving users the the rights to be able to sort of self update their own um, employee information and so then it makes sense to try and allow um, the, you know the, the systems behind connections to then get that back into whatever uh, other directories you have and it, as part of the consultant in your pocket session that Tom Duff and I did. We did we did two. One was from a developer perspective and one was from an admin perspective. And and the developer perspective we had um, a couple examples. Tom actually walked through two examples. One was where you could use a, a CSV file and use TDI to get it into um, uh, notes database. And, you know, some folks might think that, well, yeah, I could just use an import to do that. But if you had something that you needed to do on a scheduled basis, TDI would be really good um, because you can set up a scheduled event. Um, I would suggest that folks go out and look at the consultant in your pocket um, webcasts if they do want to get some ideas about how to set up TDI, you know, for some ideas in terms of domino database and app integration um, that it really is not just for directories as we've been talking about. And we'll make sure we have a link to that consultant in your pocket uh, webcast as well in the show notes. So let's move on to the next topic on our list, which was um, a fix pack that's just come out for 851, fix pack 4. Um, and as usual, it contains a, a mixture of um, new fixes and, and some updates as well. So um, first of all, Gab, um, there's been some discussion on the, the web this week in terms of it taking a long time to install. What's your experience with that? Yeah, I, I, that caught me out, really, um, because I didn't have... I mean, it took a long time, because a fix pack normally takes about 90 seconds for me, and this took probably 12 minutes, and I did it on three different machines, all of which were Windows machines. Um, but reports of it taking hours and hours, I, I simply haven't seen, and I think... The conclusion was that, was it not that there's, if you're running um, virus protection software on the desktop, some of it will prevent the installer updating some files, and you really should turn that stuff off before you start. But, you know, I think we're a little bit spoiled if we're talking about 90 seconds versus 12 minutes. You know, I, I, can, I can take a server down, six-pack it, and get it up again all within 20 minutes. Um, but I know Rob didn't have that experience on well, I, I agree with you, Gab. We are spoiled. Um, every fix pack ever before this one um, has taken less time. And I, I think the longest I experienced, I've done five or six uh, fix pack four updates in our labs. Um, I want to say is somewhere in the 20 minute range. But, you know, having done 90 second fix packs forever, it, Getting into the three or four minute range for me felt like forever, and I, you know, just oh gosh, I'm gonna go get up, walk away, and get a cup of coffee, and uh, and of course, you know, the developers would ask why their server's not back. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a geek attention span, Rob. It is. It is definitely an attention span <laughs> issue. Um, I did run into one of those five or six where there was one file blocked from being put onto the system, and I, I think you're right, it probably was uh, either Windows Firewall or something like that. Um, but one thing I, I've just come to notice is that the fix packs, um, you know, they back off to 8.5.1. They, they basically take you back to a pure 8.5.1 and then 
FixPack themselves up to the current version. So if you're installing FixPack 4, it's uninstalling everything from FixPack 3, 2, and 1, um, bringing it back to a pure 851 state and then going forward. So I would expect each FixPack to take a little bit longer. This one sort of just you know, hangs at the end. Um, I, I'm not going to say it hangs. It does eventually finish, but it sort of hangs with the screen waiting for the last file to be completed. Um, that said, you know, even 20 minutes isn't bad. No, that's right. And, and as you both said, we've been spoiled in the past by, by quicker ones. So uh, it's certainly something people should be aware of, that it may take longer than they, they would necessarily expect. So so how about what, what's in there? Uh, I, I think part of the, the reason for the delay was there's a lot of Dojo uh, updates that are going on your system. Does anybody know what else is in, in FixPack 4 that's notable? Well, I, th I think you mentioned KeyView. Yeah, I did notice the, about a dozen fixes for KeyView in the SPR list. And, um, you know, for those who don't know what KeyView is, it's it's a, um, a system for being able to view files in line, um, idle. And I believe if you just Google KeyView and idle, you'll find out the company name um, that creates it. But it's embedded on the Domino server now. And it gives you the ability to view through a browser um, attachments of like up to 800 file types. So uh, what it's being used for exactly, what they're preparing for exactly, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I do know that it's coming in the next version of Quicker, and that's been made public. So I can say it without being, you know, hunted down. <laughs> um, but... Uh, you know, I noticed a bunch of fixes for KeyView being put down on the system, and I don't know. I don't know the size of those, or or how you know how that might have impacted the install. One of them was a security fix for the PDF hole, right? I didn't see that. Yes. Darren, what's the PDF hole? Um, I don't want to advertise security holes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, I mean, there were a number of KeyView um, issues on the Secunia site. Um, with KeyView for the client side, and I believe those are included in FixPack 4. Um, those involve the, the KeyView, um, specifically with um, some viewers on the client side. Okay, that's, that's worth looking out for, definitely, Marie. And then the last thing with this fix pack is is something I, uh, Gab and I have spoken about. Is is I think you had a customer that had a performance issue with fix pack three and fix pack four fixed it. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it is, and and it was it was an, an urgent situation. Um, I upgraded them to fix pack three, and we had a time entry, applica entry application that was written in version six. I've been in place for years, and involved processing hundreds, tens of thousands of documents um, in different databases. And when we went to fix pack three, what would run in 30 minutes was suddenly taking hours and hours to run. Um, we simply did not have time to troubleshoot exactly what was causing it, or even if it was fix pack three, because we upgraded on the Sunday and we needed it fixed by the following week. And as luck would have it, fix pack four came out. So. Um, having tried fix pack four, I, I put it on the, the customer server and the problem immediately went away. So I'm not in the habit of, of, of adding two and two together and getting five. <laughs> and I didn't have a chance in the brief time it was on fix pack three 
to troubleshoot the code. We put some profiling on the agents, but we couldn't risk running them again that slowly to try and find out what the profile in the second was, was, was saying. So we opted for making the problem go away and never quite knowing why it was there. Um, there were a lot of document saves and that appeared to be the slow piece. Um, whether it was the, the writing the document saves for the file system, I'm not sure, but certainly a system that had been fast and worked perfectly prior to six pack three broke and then fixed itself with six pack four. Um, so if anyone else out there has seen a similar thing, that might be worth knowing. Okay, so certainly if people are having problems with performance and agents, they, they, on Fixpath 3, they should look at Fixpath 4 for sure. Um, okay, on to the, the next topic, which is... Stuart, can I, can yeah. I interrupt just okay, one Marie. second? Um, maybe this can be brought up in an, another session. Um, I have kind of a pet peeve about fixed packs, and, and maybe Rob can jump in with this as well in terms of, you know, every product has its own method for fix packs. You know, you have quicker um, iNotes fix packs versus Domino fix packs. Um, perhaps there needs to be, you know, some kind of centralized model for, or installer for the fix packs. Every, every product has a different set for, you know, installing. Um, my pet peeve is iNotes fixes. They drive me absolutely batty. So I, I just throw that out there. Perhaps that's something that, you know, we can ask for. I think it's a very good request to make, Marie. Well, yeah, maybe next time we get a, a product manager on the call, we'll, we'll have to ask that very question. Um, you know, certainly with it, with Quicker, for years we had to copy files manually into place, and I think on non-Windows um, operating systems you still have to do that. So for sure there's, there's some improvements to be made there. So, so as I say, moving on to uh, the next topic, which is events. Um, it's been a busy week for event news. There's been ML, sorry, MW Lug uh, taking place this week. Uh, I think that's still going on today. Um, also, the agenda's been announced for NL Lug, as in the Netherlands, which is taking place, I think it's the 9th and 10th of September, so in about sort of two or three weeks' time. I know I'm presenting at that one. I think, Gab, are you presenting out there this year as well? I am. I'm doing two sessions out there this year. Okay, what are they? I'm doing actually the directory um, integration session. Um, I'm doing a version of that that Marie and I did together, but since Marie's not there, I'm not doing the TDI bit because that's, that's, that's her thing, and I'm doing some stuff with Spinego. And I'm doing a session on um, curing server sickness and security. Excellent. Sounds good. And Rob, I saw you out there last year. Are you back this time around? Unfortunately not. It was a, it's a wonderful event though, I have to say. It's, uh, it's really well run. They have 26, 25 business partners in the uh, Dutch business partner community that come together and actually work together there. Um, it's a fairly large event uh, compared to uh, some of the other more regional um, events and uh, really, had a, really had a great time there. Yeah, it's a great event, extremely enthusiastic and well-organised event, and it has been what I've been previously. Absolutely right, and I'm back this year as well to do a Connections 3 session, so um, so that, that'll be enjoyable to, to do. Um, also, there's a um, another event coming up in September too, um, one that takes place in, in two different geographies, which makes it fairly uh, unique in the Lotus community. Rob, do you want to tell us about what that event is? Of course, Collaboration University, our 11th and 12th CU, is coming September 21st through 23rd in London. 
and then the following week, the 27th through 29th in Chicago. Um, so we're covering both geographies, but I should say the London one covers quite a bit of geography as we have, I think, 12 or 13 countries already registered. Um, and uh, as with last year, we had our first participant from um, Greece and our first from the United Arab Emirates. Uh, this year we have our first registrant from Israel who just registered yesterday. So um, really interesting coverage and people are coming from far away. Um, of course, Collaboration University is about the same time and quicker, primarily. And uh, we're going to be covering same time 8.5. Uh, and 8.5.1, of course, which was just released, and, and Quicker Domino 8.5 um, because of the, the massive differences from prior versions of the products and, and what skills people need to work with them, new features, admin and development tips, things like that. We'll also touch on connections, integration, and entitlements to connections, files, and wikis, um, Domino performance tuning to support the underlying platforms, uh, a bit on quicker J2EE, um, mobilization, uh, governance, uh, just basically run the gamut of running your uh, advanced collaboration environment. Okay, fabulous. And, and Gab, I think you take part in this event as well? I do, yes. I'm doing some um, admin sessions on uh, Same Time 851 and on Quicker 85. Um, and we're going to spend some time at this conference talking about deploying WebSphere infrastructure um, because that crosses multiple products now. It crosses into same time and it obviously crosses connections. Uh, and for a lot of customers, um, especially ones deploying same time 851, they come into WebSphere for the first time. Um, and so we're going to talk a bit about infrastructure and deploying that and, and the kind of decisions you need to make when, when planning. Your installation. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Great. And, and Neil, I think you've attended Collaboration University in the past in London. How, how did you find it as an event? As ever, tremendous. Just to see all the people together to meet these, um, but faces to voices and blog postings and things like that, and to um, meet guys like Rob and Gabin um, in person is always a great thing. And I'd, I'd really recommend people to do go along to these events because. I've been in the past and um, did get a huge amount of value out of them, both technically and also from just a sort of social networking point of view as well. So really recommend them. Excellent. And and Bob, how do people find out more about the event and uh, in terms of registering for it? Oh, well, collaborationuniversity.com, of course, is the website. Um, we have a Twitter address, collabu, at collabu. And folks can follow on on my blog at lotusrockstar.com. We typically will put out uh, you know one or two blog postings a week about uh, news about the event as it shapes up. And uh, of course, with the products so new, and in fact, with Quicker Eight Five still in beta, um, details are sort of leaking out about the exact nature of all of the sessions. Uh, the session list of 27, the first 27 sessions was posted uh, to the site just a couple of days ago. So um, folks who are interested in that will want to uh, take a look at the website and get to the sessions. Wonderful. Okay, well I encourage everybody to do that. I, I 
you know, was part of the event last year. It's a, a really tremendous place to be in terms of getting that focus on on the, the sort of expansion products, if you like, beyond the core notes and domino um, product line that you just don't get anywhere else, apart from perhaps at Loadsphere. But even then, I think you've probably got more sessions at Collaboration University on those products than you do even in Orlando. So, um, so very well, highly recommended. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, w- one more thing that we'll cover today is there are a couple of blog posts came out last night, um, one of whom was by uh, Gab yesterday, um, and, and that's around Lotusphere abstracts. It's hard to believe that uh, you know in the middle of August we're already talking about Lotusphere in January next year, um, but, but we're talking about what needs to be thought about when you submit an abstract. Gab, do you want to just talk through um, you know, why you wrote the post and, and what, what kind of advice you, you put in there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Paul and I have discussed this. We we jointly worked with Christian Holsing on the show and tell track for the last couple of years and again this year. And there was a certain amount of activity last year talking about how people got sessions and how session decisions were made. Um, And I did actually reach out to some people who had actively complained to me when they didn't get sessions, they submitted abstracts to the show and tell track. And I had said do you want to know why I personally didn't put your abstract forward? Uh, and the answer was always no. I, I don't care, that's done now. Um, but I wanted the opportunity to kind of talk to people about what I see in abstracts because what we see is the, the mass of abstracts that are submitted. What you guys see is the ones that actually get to Lotusphere and the publisher in the brochure. And there is a huge difference between the ones we get and the ones we end up choosing. And and that's just what I wanted to explain, because I think the ability to write a good abstract is 70% of your job in getting to Lotusphere. Um, the the other bit is being able to present and, you know, being, having the, the, the expertise to do it. But a lot of people don't seem to understand how important that abstract is. Uh, and certainly my feeling is speaking at Lotusphere is seen, being very honest, I think speaking at Lotusphere is too often seen as a way to get a free ticket. And so people sometimes are very cavalier about their abstracts and, and enter them in a kind of a casual scattershot fashion in the hope that one will hit. Um, and what Paul tried to do and I tried to do was give some feedback about why some of these abstracts don't get through. Um, of 140 we got in the show and tell track last year, uh, my first cut of going through them came up with 27. And I chose everything that read as even a remotely good workable abstract. So it gives you some idea of, of how far some people are away from being able to write, a, I, I believe, a good abstract. And for you, what, what marked them out as being ones you couldn't select? Is that something you can go into? What, what sort of things should people avoid doing in their abstracts? I, I, I think the key thing, I, I had some key things, things you should avoid doing. Um, nothing that promotes your product um, or your company or a particular case study that only you not work about. That's not right for the show and tell track. The show and tell track is very much designed as a teaching track and content is everything. Nothing that clearly you've given at other conferences and you've just tried to push into our track. I saw an awful lot of sessions entitled How to Do X in 60 Minutes. Now, we go into a lot of trouble when we define the tracks. When you submit an abstract, there is a description of each track and what those tracks are about. And we go into a lot of trouble to write that description. And it clearly says 
this is a 90-minute session and this is the focus. So I think understanding the track you're submitting to and writing your abstracts that's appropriate for that track is a key thing. Um, remembering that if you just submit a session on how to use X pages, you're competing with hundreds of other people who are submitting exactly the same session. So if you want a session, you have to come up with not just an interesting topic, one you're enthusiastic about, and one maybe that you can give your own unique slant on because you want your session picked above other people's. Because there are topics that we will get multiple sessions on. Um, and we will end up looking at the abstracts and choosing the one that appears to have thought out the best way of presenting that. So people have approached me this year and, and asked this question. My answer is always the same. Find a topic you're enthusiastic about, something you want to share, and then submit it into the right track, and you've done 90% of the work. Now, you still might not get a session. There are only a limited number of slots, and we certainly have to tick one box kind of per topic, per product. We can't have three X pages or four day off sessions. Sometimes you still may not get a session simply because there was another better written abstract or more appropriate abstract that fitted that slot. But you're 90% of the way there if you put the effort into finding something that enthuses you and you manage to convey in your abstract what you want to share with people. It's not a cheap conference to go to, and we want the track of the sessions to be successful and for people to really feel they got something after spending 90 minutes watching your presentation. Absolutely. I think that's, that's dead on right. I'll ask Rob as well, as somebody who's been presenting at Laysphere for probably too many years to remember and has done a huge number of, of sessions, what, what for you are the important things in terms of things you think about when you're putting together an abstract? Absolutely. Um, and, and really, this just captures some of the things that Paul and Gab put on their blog entries yesterday as well. But uh, I have found that the, the great abstracts get accepted, the great titles get people into the room. So because you're walking around with that little flippy book and you have to choose between titles, most people are not walking around with the full agenda and and probably 3% of Lotusphere attendees actually get there, sit down and look through the entire agenda and circle things um, based upon abstracts themselves. So, uh, you know, you really do need to be a good writer, um, write good abstracts. You have to highlight the benefits to the audience, showcase something IBM wants to have covered. Um, and, and like Paul and Gab have both mentioned, um, too narrow or too broad, either one of those can be a bad thing in terms of getting your session accepted. Um, I'd also add to that that really you can't be too humble in your bio. You have to present, let's see, a session abstract, a uh, another field on why should it be accepted, and then also uh, put in a bio. And you can't be too humble on your bio or skip it. But you also don't want to use hyperbole. If you're, if you're a speaker, say so, if you're an accomplished speaker, because you might be having your sessions reviewed by, uh, by folks who've never heard of you before, even if you've spoken, uh, you know, 50 times. Highlight something other, some other public speaking experience, classes you've taught, if you're a first-time speaker. Um, anything to help the track managers understand that you're not going to, you know, get up on stage and pass out or 
that your audience is going to fall asleep. Um, one thing to keep in mind for folks is that uh, the best practices track, the uh, the show and tell track, and the jumpstart tracks are, are the most likely to accept non-IBMers. Um, once in a while, you'll see uh, a, a non-IBMer. Oh, and, and there is a sometimes on occasion a customer panel track as well. But um, once in a while, you'll see a non-IBMer in the infrastructure or admin track. But most of the time, those are IBM sessions. So um, keep keep that in mind, and also keep in mind that those three tracks actually happen to involve the most intense preparation. People spend hundreds of hours getting ready for a show and tell. Um, we, we had uh, our Troy and uh, Victor did a show and tell a couple years ago and um, it was fairly intense and there are tons and tons of slides because you need to be able to show and then let these folks do everything that you showed them based upon the slide materials. Absolutely. I, I mean, I only did a best practices one last year, and, and again, it, it goes well into the you know tens of days to to put it together and, and get it smoothed out before arriving in Orlando. So def definitely don't um, don't miss the fact there's a lot of effort to go into it. I think I think my last tip with it is 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 don't be frightened of inviting somebody else to talk with you. I think as a first timer, you're unlikely to get selected um, as an individual, even if you've spoken at lugs and so on before. So I think um, you know reach out to somebody else in the community who does have a reputation at Lotusphere, get them to speak with you. I know that's what Paul Mooney did when, when he first got to speak by inviting Bo, um, sorry, Bill Buchan along as well. And I think that's, that's a good tip in terms of, of trying to get yourself accepted too. So let's move on now. Um, as usual, we'll, we'll finish the podcast. I know we're a little bit over time today, but we'll, we'll finish the podcast with our tips. Each uh, member of the panel has been asked for a tip. There might be a, um, a product or a feature integration point or a useful site that, um, that they think will be of use to listeners. So, Darren, how about we start with you today? What's your tip for, for this episode? Okay, I've been using Windows 7 for quite a while, and anyone that uses Windows knows about Alt-Tab. But in Windows 7, and I stumble upon this completely by accident, if you hold down the Windows key, which is next, like usually left of the Alt key, and do Tab, you get almost Macintosh-like functionality. It's kind of impressive. So instead of doing Alt Tab, try doing Windows Tab, and you can show that to all your Mac friends and not feel like the goober. <laughs> so what does it do? Does it show you the contents of the Windows? Yeah, so it's 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 it's, it's the same functionality as Alt Tab, but it's a whole lot more sexy. So if you hold down the Windows key and hit Tab, you get to see full kind of representations at like a 45 degree angle of all the windows and you cycle through them. It reminded me a lot of Ubuntu and, and, and a Mac kind of idea. So, you know, I'd seen it previously in, in demonstrations, but I'd never been told how to do it. And I just assumed they pulled it out of Windows 7 because so much stuff got pulled out, but it's in there. So Windows key, uh, tab and watch the sexiness and, and the smile on your face because you are almost as cool as a Mac kids. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, and moving on to Marie, what's your tip for today? Well, I primarily wear an admin hat. Um, so one, one of the tips I just wanted to make sure that people, especially admins, knew about was the copy-paste feature in the admin client to manage ACLs. If you go to the Files tab in the admin client and right-click on a database, you can select access control and then you can copy the ACL and then right click on another database and paste that ACL. Um, and so 
I use this a lot when I'm making changes to lots and lots of templates or for decommissioning databases. It's really, really fast. And I would throw just one other tip in if um, as an admin, every now and then I have to kind of back check on top of the network folks here in terms of what they're telling me. Um, for those of you who don't know about Wireshark, it's a really valuable tool. It's, it, again, it's free. It's available at wireshark.org. It's um, available to sniff all kinds of protocols, and there's online training available. Okay, tremendous. And, and with the pasting of ACLs, can you uh, paste onto multiple databases at once? Exactly. You can select multiples and you can paste onto multiples. It, it's, it's really fast. Very clever tool. I never knew that was there, so I'll certainly be using that one this week. Uh, and Gab, should we move on to you? What's your tip? Um, not so much a tip on advisory. Uh, Windows 2008 R2, not supported for same time 851. Uh, that was issued in a tech note this week. Um, that's not to say it won't work. It's to say that IBM won't take support calls from it. I would strongly suggest if you're deploying Sage Time 851, don't be tempted to go with Windows 2008 R2. Um, and oh, my second one is if you're deploying any of the WebSphere Lotus products, make sure you've got plenty of disk free. Um, I'd like to see at least 15 gig of disk free before I start an install. Um, and bearing in mind Windows 2000 itself, 2008 itself could be, you know, 15 gig or higher. You really want to be building 40 or 50 gig partitions if you're building VMs to do these installs. Okay, great tip. And it applies equally well to connections and quicker Java as well. I think that they both need fairly substantial um, areas to install into. Uh, and talking about quicker, let's move on to you, Rob. What's, what's your tip? In a shock to the world, I have a quicker tip. But... Actually, in a strange turn of events, I have an admin tip this time. Um, most people with large quicker installations know that it's fairly disk I.O. intense. Um, and upgrades are even more so because there's a lot going on on a quicker server. There are a lot of NSFs. You, if you have 100 places, you likely have 1,000 NSFs on that server. And for those 100 places, you have 100 multi-database search databases and and those guys are always indexing so during any kind of um, intense operation that you're going to do on a quicker server whether that be a fix pack or an upgrade um, if you're doing any QP tool command that is going to impact every place what you want to do is to turn off full text indexing altogether and the way to do that is to use the notes any setting that's been around since R6 of Domino called update underscore no underscore full text equals one. And you can set that at the console using set config. It takes effect immediately with no restart. And what it does is it, it just stops all full text indexing, prevents it from ha occurring on the server. So while you're doing your other things, you're running your fix pack, you're running your upgrade, um, it doesn't get in the way. And I have actually experienced this in the last year where, you know, you, you learn something new with every crisis, but uh, I experienced in the last year where I would run an upgrade on one server and forgot to do that, and it would take, you know, six hours on a very large environment, and another similar one would only take two. So 
Uh, just set it back to zero when you're done so the full text indexing can continue on the Clicker server and you can save a ton of time. Wonderful. I, I so appreciate that tip, Rob, because I've just done a side-by-side -side Quick Place 7 to Quicker 8.2 upgrade uh, with 600 places that need to be imported, and it took an <laughs> age. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> next time around, I will use that to turn the full text index off. So thank you so much for the tip. Um, and Neil, what's your tip for this time around? Um, I've not got so much tips as some sort of homespun advice from somebody who's been, who was very, very heavily involved in the community for many years, um, but has been outside for a little while. I'd just say um, I've really enjoyed listening to these podcasts um, and it's been great hearing uh, what's going on and keeping up. And I just think people within the community really need to value the Lotus community. It really is a great place. There's, I've met a whole ton of people in a number of countries that have been great fun to work with and share time with. Um, I know at times there's a little bit of a sort of circling the wagons feel about the community and that, um, but I think that there is a huge array of talent and um, very extensive portfolio. I mean, um, IBM is still very much acquiring companies and capability. And I just suggest people, you know, look just outside the immediate domino notes environment to explore that capability. There's plenty of help in the community um, and business partners such as you guys are very much there to help. Notes, Lotus isn't just Notes and Domino. Um, there are a lot of WebSphere and increasingly Tivoli products involved. And I think that we've covered some of that today. And I'm encouraged to hear that Gab's running some sessions on these. It's quite a daunting thing to look at WebSphere and Tivoli. And I know because I've been there. But um, there is a whole ton of information to help you now. And I think um, the podcast you did the other day about the Lotus Information Development Center, was it? Yeah. Um, they've got some really good material there. And I was having a quick look at that last night and really quite impressed. And finally, just to say, when those two sort of worlds come together, um, I think there's some interesting things that are happening. Um, the Lotus Live stuff, I've, I've been quietly impressed with what I've seen and, like I say, doing some catch-up in the last few days. Um, and I don't know if people are familiar with um, on the apps lotuslive.com there's a thing called BPM Blueworks that I think is maybe worth a look at so um, get out there and explore and enjoy it while you can I think that's great advice it's very easy to get wrapped up in some of the tussles maybe that take place in the community I think it's it's sometimes hard to value how much it means to to us all that work within it and and that are you know, coming part of it over time too as new people join so i really appreciate that insight neil thank you um and my, my tip for this week just quickly is a um is a new widget that can be installed into your lotus connections environments um it, it, it's there to import uh, bookmarks from delicious if you use delicious into uh, your lotus connections environment so it's a great way of pre-populating um, connections with a huge number of bookmarks. You can basically uh, enter in a tag you want to search for or somebody who's contributed bookmarks to Delicious and just pull them all in in one go directly into um, what used to be dog earring connections is now called bookmarks. It comes from a company called Just Nudge. Uh, they're a business partner of ours. We're doing quite a lot of work on custom widgets with them. But um, this is a free one or free, 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 as Marie would say. Uh, and it's available via a link that's going to be in the show notes. So take a look at that. So once again, thank you 
all for taking part. I think it's been a really interesting discussion. I really value all of your time to take part this week. So if we just quickly run round, uh, let us know how to get hold of you, uh, what your Twitter or blogs are. That would be awesome. So let's, let's start with uh, Rob. How about you? How do people find you? Um, first, just one quick thing. I realized that earlier in the show you asked in one sentence what is Lotus Notes, and I did not answer you. So I did a quick calculation, and I'll give you the answer. Lotus Notes is the last 39.53% of my life. <laughs> How do you get a hold of me? I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Lotus Rockstar. My blog is lotusrockstar.com. Our website is snaps.com, and I can be reached at rnovak at snaps.com. Tremendous. Thank you. And Two peats there. <laughs> okay. And Gabriella? Oh, uh, Yeah. My email is gabriel.sotopartnership.com. I didn't mention earlier, but we were talking about Lotus for Abstracts. If you have an abstract and you want it reviewed, both Paul Mooney and I um, are offering to give you some advice via email. It may be useful. We can't guarantee that you'll get a session, but um, gabriel.sotopartnership.com or pmooney.net. Uh, also, I'm on GabTurtle on Twitter, and my blog's at blog.sotopartnership.com. Brilliant. And I think you also took part in a, another podcast yesterday with, uh, with Chris Miller? A late night podcast with Chris Miller, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's definitely worth a listen. That's at idnotes.com if anybody wants to get hold of that one too. Um, and Marie, how do people find you? Um, they can find my blog at www.bleedyellow.com blogs slash crash test chicks or they can find me on Twitter at Marie underscore Scott or at mlscott at vcu.edu. Tremendous. Thank you. And Neil, lastly, how do people find you? Uh, I can be uh, occasionally spotted on Twitter. Um, Very Neil. occasionally. <laughs> I promise to do better. <laughs> Neil Burston, that's N-E-I-L-B-U-R-S-T-O-N. And also it's neil.burston at gmail.com. Thank you, Neil. And of course, I forgot Darren. Darren, how do people find you? I will tell you the truth this week. I believe last week I said, find me on Skype and give my Twitter ID. <laughs> um, so if anyone's been trying to Skype me and got some other guy called Darren Duke who didn't know what the hell you were talking about, that might be why. Um, so on Twitter, it's Darren Duke, all one word. And the blog is blog.darrenduke.net. Okay, and lastly, if you want to find me, I'm Stuart McIntyre, uh, Stuart McIntyre on Twitter and collaborationmatters.com for the blog and company stuff. So um, once again, thank you everybody for taking part. Uh, for the listeners, I'm sorry we've gone to an hour and 20 this week. Promise to do better next week, but I hope you've made, it's made your uh, commute or your lawn mowing or whatever it is you're doing while listening to it. I hope it's made it more enjoyable. So thank you to everybody for taking part. And until next week, this was This Week in Lotus. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by Move.com, the home of the finest custom business cards, mini cards, postcards and much more. For more information and for details of exclusive promotional offers, browse to thisweekinlotus.com. Move. <laughs>